having self-respect for myself and loving myself through that respect that I will insist it's setting boundaries early. I am going to insist on the way we, what is it, Dr. Phil, we teach people how to treat us. And, I, and so what I see a lot of with the women that I am in community with and work with is sometimes they want to show their, I can be warm, I can be loving. I want him to see all this loving, nurturing I have to offer, and they give a little bit too much too soon. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And welcome to part two of our Love and Life Live with psychotherapist Elliot Anderson. We're continuing our conversation on how to cultivate deep, authentic, and emotionally healthy intimacy. Specifically, in today's part two of our live, we are tackling the following. One, 10 warning signs in relationships that you absolutely need to be aware of. Two, 10 environmental context and concerns. Not necessarily warning signs, but things to be noticing. Three, 10 family of origin dynamics to observe and discuss. And four, Four non-negotiable deal breakers. We can greatly increase the likelihood of a solid, loving, even easy romantic partnership if we keep all these elements in mind. And you're going to learn all about them right after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White, till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So 10 warning signs. Again, don't think these mean you have to break up. It's just important to recognize them. When you're communicating way more than your partner. Now recognize some of you are talkers, some of you aren't. But the communication should at least be equal in desire and reciprocal in connection. So you might say 100 words for their 10 words, but it shouldn't be 3,000 words for five words. Do you hear the variable there? There needs to be some opportunity. If you find yourself in your partnership constantly having to say things like, we need to talk, or I don't feel connected, or I feel disengaged, or we can't seem to get through a conversation without argument, or we can't find any depth in our conversation. It might not be a matter of words or number of words, but how you're communicating, how you're talking through. So watch the communication. When your partner is controlling your behaviors or activities, even when you're apart, what does control look like? That can be different for different people and what feels acceptable, what's not feeling acceptable. 
But if your partner is saying stuff like, well, I don't like that friend of yours. I don't want you to hang out with them anymore. And it's been like one of your best friends for like the last 15 years. Honestly, it doesn't even matter to me if that friend's like a serious drug addict and major trouble. Your partner still doesn't tell you what to do or tell you who you can be friends with who or not. It's certainly fine to say, hey, this friendship seems a little queasy or scary to me. Can we talk through what that looks like? That's a totally different conversation. Not, well, if you're going to date me, you're not talking to him anymore. That's not appropriate conversation or partnership anytime in the relationship, let alone in the dating stage. When you're afraid to say or do normal things around your partner, the authenticity question one more time. When you're catering to the whims or demands of your partner. Now, serving your partner is wonderful. Serving your partner. Everyone's got little idiosyncrasies, little whims, little differences in what we like and don't like. So serving your partner about some of those things can be wonderful. Catering is different. Catering, again, is saying, I'm doing that because I'm afraid of their emotional reaction or verbal reaction if I don't. Many of you are afraid to bring conflict up because you don't want your partner getting all worked up and possibly ruining the night and ruining the mood, but then you don't get the authentic you out and then you don't get to say what you feel you need to say. So everyone goes through that quasi-regularly. You just can't have it be the regularity all the time. When you don't agree on boundaries, the ones we talked about earlier, relational, sexual, and ethical. When you don't have similar values, again, we're just repeating context and concepts here. When your best friends or family don't think your partner is good for you. That's huge. That's very, very important. Now, it doesn't mean your mom has to think your partner is absolute amazing. But it shouldn't be that your mom and dad or your best friend or your sister or brother just flat out says, man, I don't think this person is good for you at all. A recent divorced woman I'm counseling broke down in tears in my office saying, my sister, who I love more than anyone in the world, told me, please, please don't marry this man. He is not good for you at all. And she ignored it. And the marriage was a disaster. It was abusive. It was awful. It took a long time for her and her sister to reconcile because of that very pain, because that loving relationship, sister relationship, is so important. And the sister had the courage to tell her, her older sister had the courage, the younger sister had the courage to tell the older sister, I just don't think this is right. And she denied it. Now, again, you don't want your sister having power of your relationship and telling you maybe she's jealous and just saying to you, you know what? I don't like him. Don't marry him. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Well, there should be some conversation about that, some discussion about what are the issues that you're struggling with so you can go through it. So it's not a matter of determinism, but it matters. It's important. It is important what your primary friends if they love you and you love them and they don't love your future spouse, that's a big deal. When your other areas in life worsen, do the relationship rather than strengthen. So if you are an A student and you start dating your girlfriend and you become a D student, and your reason is because I just love spending time with my girlfriend, that is a terrible reason to become a D student. So when your other primary issues in life that are very important, your health goes down the toilet, you're not sleeping anymore, you don't hang out with your friends anymore like Karen talked about, those aren't good signs. You want to become a better person by being a partner with this other person rather than a worse person. 
And I'm just talking about basic functionalities of life. And I'm not blaming your partner for that. That's your decision. That's your boundaries. That's your ability to tell your partner, listen, I have got to go to bed. I have a huge day tomorrow. I can't stay out till 3 a.m. anymore. That's, up, that's your responsibility, not your partner's to do it for you. When your partner won't include you in certain areas of their life, that's a major warning sign if they just like have parts of their life that are hidden and secret. Well, where do you go on that night? That's none of your business. Well, that might be true the first couple months of dating, but if you're thinking about getting engaged to this person and marrying that person, and they have a secret Thursday night that you have no idea what they're doing, and they won't tell you anything, that's, that's not good. That's different than saying, hey, Thursday night is guys' nights. We always go get wings and beer and watch the game. That's totally fine. That's even recommended, but not a secretive thing. That's a whole nother bag of tricks there to talk about past life and secrets, but I think I covered enough for now. And then lastly, when your partner consistently lies or avoids accountability or responsibility. Catching your partner in a small white lie early in the relationship, not a deal breaker. But it's interesting what lies come out when I'm working with crisis couples. Well, you were still dating that other girl when we were dating, and you lied about it. That's a big lie. That one's significant. That undermines the entire value of commitment. If they told you they were exclusive with you and still sleeping around with someone else, maybe even a month after you started thinking you were exclusive, that's a big deal. That's a substantial lie. And again, guys, more often than not, as we're trying to become men and we're still figuring out that we are dating a woman and we're still a boy in some context, which is not uncommon. Brain development alone, guys, it takes to like age 25 for us. I think women is still 21-ish, 22? No, no, the most recent women are 25 and guys are late 20s. Oh man, guys, it's worse. Late 20s now, now we got to be 30. I'm thankful I'm 55, so I've already passed that. But that brain development alone will bring some of those changes that make it difficult for us to be honest and truthful and accountable and not tell our girl what we think she wants to hear and it's really a white lie. That, that's difficult. At the same time, your partner and girlfriend, boyfriend status, really even in the marriage, she or he shouldn't be your primary accountability for your sin issues. That's another whole long conversation. Mm-hmm. That needs to happen with your same gendered friends and partners, and what you tell each other about those things can be very damaging. I've worked with tons of couples that have accidentally self-sabotaged their relationship by men trying to get holy and pure about their sexuality and their, their lens of lust and things and choosing their girlfriend or fiance or wife to be the primary and then saying things to her like every time she came home from work, I lusted after this girl at the restaurant, I lusted after this one over here. <laughs> And he was trying to be accountable and just saying, hey, I didn't do anything about it. I didn't flirt with her, but I just got to admit that I did. And it's just killing her. So I appreciate his effort, but that's not smart effort. Uh, and I'm not saying he needs to lie about it. If she asks him, she needs to be, he needs to be honest. But setting up other accountabilities that are agreed upon and understood and then working forward on those issues is much more important. Elliot, I'm just curious, because I know if you talk about full vulnerability, full intimacy emotionally in a marriage, I can understand where a man, I laughed because I was like, I would not want to hear that from my husband, but I can understand where he was coming from. He's like, I'm going to come clean. I'm going to be totally vulnerable. Like this is the one relationship in my whole life besides God where I can be completely real because it's my wife. So how, how do you find that tension? How do you? Yeah, I have two couples right now going through that. One is in the pre-engagement stage and one is already married. 
And so the married guy came forward about his sexual addiction, got caught in some lies, was honest about what's going on, and now he's in the over-disclosure mode that is not helping. I mean, she appreciates his willingness to be vulnerable and upfront, but we talked about in the last session, it needs to start coming to me and a guy's group he's with, work on those things, and then build, build her the parameter of safety so she's not freaked out and anxious about it. Um, but it's a, very, it's a very delicate line. Yeah. With the premarital, pre-engagement couple, that's a lot simpler because the commitment's pretty generic still. Well, it's, it's good, but it's in a generic stage and talking about those things, and, and they're not in that complete exclusivity or automatically married stage, but it's still a very important topic. And in our evangelical culture like Judson, this is a much more common conversation than it would be in some other places. So certainly holiness and purity are massively important. And we, we need to have the sexuality lens centered on the one we're with, but it's, it's difficult. The same way any time a, a woman was having anxiety, I'm just using it, it's not comparable, but it's at least an example. Anytime she was feeling anxious about the relationship, if she told her boyfriend every single time she's anxious about the relationship, he'll never feel secure. So she can't say, you know, oh, by the way, I was anxious six times about us at lunch. Then when we were walking around the mall, I was anxious two times about you're going to leave me. And then when we were later, I was anxious about, I mean, that's going to create a similar vibe of no certainty. So it's a fine line in that vulnerability. It's a whole it's a two-hour conversation. I just want to say on that piece, though, that also speaks to the research that looks at a woman. And you spoke to it earlier. We can talk about traditional values that the men should pursue and the women receive the pursuit. But there's actually a ton of research in the anthropological realm, also in psych research on intimacy and dating and partnership. And when we, as women, allow the man to pursue, and yeah, we're going to be anxious, like, I wanted him to call me 10 times today, and he only called me twice or texted or whatever. But when we don't in the immediately communicate, and again, that's like, I just want to be real and raw and honest. Well, no, not in the early days, because what we do is that we allow him then to go, oh, wait, I do have to pursue her. And what it does, and this sounds really, it sounds like game playing, but it's not, and it's science-based, is that we elevate our status. And it's just human nature. We, we are more interested. We value something that we have to work for. And that's just across the board. And certainly in relationships, when I, as a woman, and certainly every guy I ever dated that I was falling for, there'd be times I'd be like, oh, is this going to work? Am I going to get hurt? But by pulling back and letting him pursue me and then just being like, hey, what's up? Now, someone might say, you were totally disingenuous. You weren't being real in dating. Well, no. In the first couple of months until he had asked me, hey, I want to be exclusive with you, I'm not going to be 100% real because I'm keeping my status that I am something to be pursued, to be sought after. I'm the prize. And, and that's not being, uh, like, snobby or thinking I'm better than anyone. It's just recognizing it's having self-respect for myself and loving myself through that respect that I will insist it's setting boundaries early. I am going to insist in the way we, what is it, Dr. Phil, we teach people how to treat us. Mm -hmm. Train them. And, I, and so what I see a lot of with the women that I am in community with and work with is sometimes they want to show their, I can be warm, I can be loving. I want him to see all this loving, nurturing I have to offer, and they give a little mm. bit too much too soon. Yep. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. All right, next one, 10 environmental and context concerns. I'm going to go back and forth with Karen on this one. I'm going to read the one that's about the ladies 
and then she'll read the ones about the guys. So you actually go first because it's the guys one first are about the girls. Okay, so watch how your boyfriend treats his mother and sisters. And you probably have heard this. It's kind of in the pop psych culture that we're all pretty much aware of the fact that women can learn a lot about how he feels about other women by looking at the other women in his life that he has intimate relationships with. And that's really key. There are some men who, unfortunately, through their own family of origin, dysfunctional dynamics, have learned to not treat women well. Maybe they watch their father be disrespectful or abusive with their mother. So they have this sense that it's okay to talk down to a woman, to demean a woman, to treat her with contempt, to roll their eyes and think she's ridiculous and silly. So these kinds of things, you, you, you learn so much information. And getting back to that pacing question, I'll just sneak this in. This is where we have to watch. We're not accepting an engagement ring if we haven't seen our potential spouse in multiple contexts. And that's from the, how they treat the server at the restaurant, to how they treat their mother, to how they treat their little nieces and nephews, to how they treat a random stranger, to how they treat the homeless person. And certainly in the male-female dynamic, you're going to learn a ton. And I know that we can probably both remember, I'm sure you remember how Angie treated her dad, and I certainly remember how my husband treated his mom with just a, a lot of reverence and respect and a lot of gratitude for what she built into him. And then that made me be grateful for it. Yeah. I mean, there's all this stuff about mother-in-laws. We have, we have a great relationship because when I see her, I know that the man that I married is because of her. And I'm so thankful that she raised this quality man of integrity. Absolutely. And so you see the guy side here. Watch how your girlfriend respects her father. So it's not like ladies aren't watching the respect factor to the mother. The idea is that the women are relationally based more in their common affect and movements, and the men are looking more for that respect. And so many women have very good reasons not to respect their father because the father was absent, the father was neglectful, father was abusive, but it's still that context then. Well, what about the other men in her life? Uncles, grandfathers, male teachers, male coaches, something. So you have the understanding, well, if they're having issues with male authority, which many women do for many good reasons, are they healing from that? Have they been forgiving for that? So there's a, a work in process because that stuff will transfer into the primary male relationship later. And for more help on that, the second episode we did together was on the father wound because it, it was something that kept coming up with the women in my community. How can I meet a quality man when I don't know what that looks like in the terms of intimate relationship? Because my dad was not quality to my mom. He took off when I was two. I never heard from him or that sort of thing. So that's, I don't remember the number of the episode, but if you're interested in that, Ellie's got that yep. for you. All right, so watch how your boyfriend handles his money, his time, and his possessions. So this gets back to values. So some are spenders, some are savers, and there's good rationale for both. But again, as we talked about earlier, the more that you align on what you do with your money, and if I'm not mistaken, I definitely have seen it years ago, but I, I would guess that even almost every research study that's come out on divorce shows finances as being usually number one or number two in terms of the reasons that people say, I'm done. And so what they do- And that's not based on purely amount of money made. Oh, it's no, it's more about the spending, more it. about the philosophy, more about the movement. Sorry, no, no, and, and, and same with time. So time I, is something, and we, in some ways, many people value it more than money because we, can't, we can make more money, we can't make more time. And so what does your spouse do with this time? I dated a guy, I like to bring the personal examples just to flesh it out. <laughs> I dated a guy who spent a lot of hours per day watching YouTube videos. 
Now, there's a lot you can learn on YouTube, and we've all learned something like how to, I don't know, patch drywall. I don't, whatever people learn on YouTube. I mean, you can learn a lot. But to my mind, I'm like, what'd you do all day? Watched a lot of YouTube. Uh, see, we, we missed, we, we didn't align on the value of what you do with your time, and that got under my nerves. I'm like, Absolutely. what are you doing with your life? Because, so, sidebar. Yeah, and, and the values that compare against each other often is value, money versus time. That's the one that lines up. I have a whole value document, if you'd like me to send that to you, that talks about the 10 primary values and then how they compete with each other. And the money time one tends to be the most specifically paired. And our father, one of the adages we learned was make it happen. And we were not really, I mean, we, were, we couldn't even watch TV for a long time. They went through a real, like, no TV in the 70s. We had, like, two, you could watch sports. Yeah. And then we had a couple. And Hee-haw. Well, we could have like two shows a week. So anyway, so the idea of someone spending a ton of time in front of screens, and this, this pertains to Gen Z because there's a lot of people who spend a lot of days looking through Instagram just, or I guess it's TikTok now, just looking. looking. I we, mean, just, we just covered this in chemical dependency class, so I did take a look it at is some, an addiction. some of my students. It becomes a very difficult process. Yes. Well, I'm sure well, there's a lot of neural pathway stuff, and dopamine well, sure. is getting, you're getting hits of dopamine. It's anyway. mine's the next one. No, possessions. Also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, and how he handles his possessions. And again, that's something that's really interesting because some of us were raised like, hey, you spent some money on this. You got to take care of it. Some people were raised more with like disposable, like I'll just get a new one. That would really great on you. <laughs> if you're someone who's like, no, no, we invested in this. And they're like, ah, whatever. I yeah, mean, even or, things like, yeah. like for us, like I, we're really big on donating. I, I don't toss things. I'm going to find a new home for it. And those values of what you do with your possessions of course, linked to money as well, but yeah. yeah. Resources and some mm -hmm. hold on to stuff, some release it, some give it, some sell it. It's a big deal. I didn't mean to cut you out. No. Watch how your girlfriend relates with her friends or family or community that ties into what we talked about before, so I'm not gonna talk more about it. It's that relational context. Go ahead, the next one. Okay, so um, watch if your boyfriend is disciplined with his academics, sports, music, art, or work. So discipline is one of those words that can kind of be like, oh, I don't want to be disciplined. I want to be free. But there is actually a lot of freedom in discipline. Because if I'm disciplined now, then I have the freedom to goof off later. If he's disciplined with what he needs to do, then he can carve out more time for you that weekend. And I just think a lot of what we're talking about is essentially emotional maturity. And that's another thing that people, I mean, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> so I feel you, the youngest child. But at the same time, when you're looking for that deep connection, I don't really think it's possible for someone who does have discipline in their life, who does have those values, has an understanding of who they are and what they're about and what they're, where they're headed. And especially for men, again, a woman to see that he's disciplined in his pursuits. I dated a guy who wanted to be a filmmaker. Well, at the time we dated, he was 34, 35 and he was still waiting tables. Nothing wrong with waiting tables. I did plenty of that in my day. But it was like watching his time. How much time was he spending actually doing the filmmaking stuff? Not that much. So that was an example of him not having that discipline to pursue the goals that he had. And I wanted to support him. Yeah. But there became a point where I'm trying to support you, bro, but you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. As we talked about with biblical manhood, God assigning the men to provide and protect. And so it's not like the woman's saying, hey, once we're married, I'm doing whatever the heck I want and you got to take care of everything. But it's certainly difficult if the man's saying, well, I really don't know what I want to do, how I'm going to support and provide for the family. Can I just try a bunch of different things and, and you go out and do your job and work? That, that can be temporarily. I spent two years in grad school and my wife worked and 
paid for my grad school. So I'm, I'm not saying that's not important, but I was in grad school preparing to be a counselor, preparing to be a therapist, and then activating that process. So it's more difficult for masculine masculinity in men if they're not providing or protecting in any context, and if they have a lack of discipline towards that effort even, it's a sign of some misalignment, maybe some incongruence, using a bunch of terms here from our psych classes, and they're struggling. Doesn't mean dump them. It just means we got to figure that piece out so that man's moving holistically forward. Watch how the girlfriend's discipline with her schedule, her relationships, and her expectations. So we can wrap these. These are not always gender specific. We're just giving nuances to each side. So for those six different things there, you can do them with both genders. But in particular, that aspect of the schedule relationship expectations tends to be more on the feminine side of the movement once the couple's together. Now, some women are going to be way scattered and way disorganized, and the man's going to be more structured and more organized. He'll probably take care of the family schedule and planning events. So I'm not saying it's every single time. It's just a stereotypical general aspect. The key together, I think we're saying, is discipline's an important part of life. And if the value's matching, and you both have some goals and ambitions and drives, there should be alignment with that and progress towards it. Everyone goes through down seasons, everyone struggles, everyone has to change it. And so we're not saying it's automatic and easy, but there should be alignment on those processes. All right, so women, watch if your boyfriend is as appreciative of your heart as he is your body. And I think that's another fullness of what we're talking about, a true intimate relationship. There's a psychologist I'd love to talk about. His name is Dr. Robert Sternberg, and he talks about the triangular theory of love, and it includes three factors, triangle, right? So three factors, and one is the intimacy. And as Elliot said, it's not sexual intimacy. That is the friendship, the deep. We are best friends. We love hanging out together. We've got... I just want to hang out with this person on the friendship level. The second piece is commitment. Is this someone you can trust to be faithful to you? And then the third prong of the triangle of what he calls consummate love, we might call it the total package, what we're looking for, that full total package in a person, is uh, the romantic and sexual chemistry. So as we're speaking to you here, yes, I want my husband and my and when you're dating, you want your boyfriend, girlfriend to love your heart and your tenderness and your your nurturing and your warmth and your empathy as much as he loves or she loves your body. And doesn't mean that one is better. All are important. And I think what happens a lot of times, and Elliot, of course, can speak to this with the couples he works with, is that sometimes people settle for two out of the three. Mm -hmm. And two of the three can work in a dating relationship, but I think if you don't have all three, you're eventually going to be in marriage counseling. Yeah, you're eventually because you're going to just go on Facebook and look up your ex-boyfriend from high school, and yeah. when you need that <laughs> that one prong that you said what, it was okay not to have. So yeah, so make sure that he's loving your heart. You're going to feel so validated and so so seen. It's another reason that. to be careful about how fast the sexual intimacy comes, because that body part will get triggered so quickly, and that gets cemented. That's the scriptural understanding of sexual relationship together gets cemented so quickly. And for men in particular, that'll just weaken or lessen their need for the other two. And we want those to develop first holistically. In spiritual terms, right, with, with um, what the Bible teaches about love, it's the agape love, the holistic, comprehensive love, the phileo love, the friendship, brotherly, sisterly love, and then the eros, the sexual love. So the same thing Sternberg talking about is biblically evidence, and we need all three of those. And it's best if the arrows part, according to God's word, is last. That's the consummation of the other loves, not the primary. Watch if your girlfriend appreciates your dreams as much as your position. Um, 
Your man is a dreamer, even if he hasn't told you that yet, ladies. I'm not saying ladies don't dream. I think they do as well. But part of the, the uh, wild at heart, John Eldridge stuff, about this man as a warrior needing to pursue and conquer and build something lasting and legacy, that's often tied to their primary identity, which tends to be work. Doesn't mean you're not crazy about your wife and your kids or your other things in your environment, but men tied to get, tend to get their identity tied to their work, and so that dream's very important. And if you're in a committed relationship, men, you need to start sharing dreams with your girl and just see how those align with maybe possible dreams and visions she has. And of course, the godly connection there will be often God will align them together. And maybe it's not going to happen right away, but it can build towards something rather than one or both of you saying, you know what, it feels too scary to talk about this dream. I'm not going to share it. And then seven years later, you're feeling bitter or mad that you never had a chance. So I think it's important. Watch what the inside of your partner's car room, home, and heart look like. And that, that last one is one that's going to take a while to, yeah. to really see, as we've been talking about, the disclosure is, comes incrementally. And as far as the car, room, and home, I mean... <laughs> I'm, I mean glad, I'm glad I had to read this one. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be someone who would be sloppy when I was in high school, and it used to... Well, especially when we shared a bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And I would take... You know, I have a lot of hair. And so I would take my shower and... Ellie would come in later and be like, why is there all this water on the floor? I'm going to fall. Blah, blah. And it's so funny because literally my husband, <laughs> he'll be like, why can't you just take a shower and dry your hair off in the shower? Why does the whole bathroom floor? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, now two men in my life have said this is a problem. But yeah, I mean, we, we, this is another value issue. Mm -hmm. whether, you, it, whether it's important to be tidy or whether someone might say, I don't have time to clean up. That's not that important. Some people, visual clutter equals visual chaos. That's and it right. really can, they can't really think straight. They can't. So that's another thing just to, again, to see if it aligns. And it's, you don't want to be like, oh, you got to change this or I won't marry you. But you got to see you're probably not going to change them. So if they're a little bit more on the sloppy side, you got to accept them for that or else... Well, I had a couple yeah. in my office Tuesday night. I just give you these live, raw right. scenarios. And his messiness and his disorganization has got her to the point of breakdown. She can't take it anymore. There's like dishwashers in the middle of the room. There's tools everywhere, equipment everywhere, sawdust everywhere. Stuff doesn't get done. It won't get moved. And, and it's just killing her. And so you're like, would they really get a divorce over that? Yes. Yes, it happens. I know a couple who got divorced because of laundry. Laundry was the primary symptom of many other issues. But the laundry was everywhere, all the time. And they had four kids, sometimes more, with foster care and adoption stuff. And it was just so cluttery, so messy. It was just an underlying current of everything else. So I am a person who likes things neat and organized, so I'm a little bit biased on this. And I married someone who's even more clean and neat and organized. And honestly, we often say to people, even in counseling scenarios, the fact that we both had a value of cleanliness saved our marriage. When we were working on all the other issues that were so different and two strong leaders trying to learn how to navigate. So I'm not saying to anyone out here, if you're a little messy, you're a little sloppy, you, you know, you got to get that completely eradicated before you get married, but you better understand what the value is with your partner and decide what that's going to look like. And everyone can learn to pick your clothes up and everyone can learn to hang the towel up. So when I have spouses in my office saying stuff like my husband will not put his wet towel on the hook and he tells me stuff like, ah, I just forget. I said, no, absolutely. That's a lie. 
you are intentionally not doing something your wife's asking you to do that is as simple as a half a second. We got to talk about that. Well, she's so controlling. Okay, now we're getting to the real issue. <laughs> she's always got something to say. I said, okay, totally fine. Let's start with the towel. Then we'll work on the other control issues. It's usually a symptomatic issue for larger value issues. And last one, watch how forgiveness is given or not given by your partner and if grudges are held. Uh, the marriage conference I did last couple weeks ago, the one I'm doing this Saturday, this forgiveness piece is just bigger and bigger and bigger with some of these couples that are just so desperately broken in my office. I'm having every couple start with these forgiveness exercises. You've got to get these grudges and bitterness and hate out. It'll destroy you. Darkness just builds in your soul. I don't care how much you love the Lord, how much you love your spouse. If you're not forgiving, sometimes even for the little things, let alone the huge things, your relationship's in trouble and your personal life's gonna be in trouble. 10 family of origin dynamics. I'm gonna let Karen take this one so I can take a breather. Watch how communication and affection are displayed and directed. So we kind of spoke to that before. There are some families where it's lots of affirmation. It's real effusive. It's come over here. I love you. Give me some sugar. Hug, 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 hug. And then there's some families that are a little bit more standoffish. Some kids don't ever hear I love you from their parents. Some kids really can't remember a whole lot of hugs and, and kisses and cuddles. And so... Again, it's not that you can't build a, a marriage that could be successful when you come from those different dynamics in your family of origin, but you definitely want to make sure that you're having that conversation once you're exclusive. And also, if you can, if that's something you can deal with, because like you talked about, some of the couples where he's like, I give you a hug. I mean, it sounds like kind of that, um, that stoic, maybe he was raised that like men aren't supposed to be super touchy-feely. Boys don't cry. Maybe he, those were the messages he internalized from his family of origin. So he feels too vulnerable with that physical touch. So it's one of those things where you just want to make sure that you are aware of it. And again, it's probably easier if you guys align on that, but it's not a deal breaker because you can always learn to say, hey, I need to... I need a little bit more affection from you. I'm thinking of the five love languages. I'm sure you talk about that a lot. And it, we do find that our relationships are a little smoother and easier if our love languages are the same because the way that we want to give love is typically the way that we want to receive love, and it's just more natural. Anything on that? Yeah, just that those differences are, are common. It's when there's other issues that develop or other values that are broken or intentionally hurt then that very issue becomes then gigantic. Are you talking about the affection, physical touch yes. in particular? Yeah, in particular. So that could be that could be one that could really derail if something underneath right. has been violated. Because now it's like, well, I've been doing these I love yous and these hugs for you more than I want to, but now you're hurting me all the time or condemning me all the time or criticizing me all the time, so now you're not getting them. It becomes well, retaliative. Passive aggressive. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Two, watch how faith, finances, and friendships are prioritized and managed. And one thing, uh, as we're talking about family of origin dynamics, one of the things that we typically don't understand, and you guys are probably feeling, seeing this more clearly for the first time. I remember when I went away to college, you really see those different dynamics. So, for example, you probably have roommates or some folks in your circle here who call their mom and dad at least once a day. Maybe they text throughout the day. And then there's some kids who they showed up in August for class and they'll be like, okay, see you at Thanksgiving. And there's that big distance, that separateness is the expectation in their family. 
And so when you look at these things and, and experience them, oftentimes when you're dating, you just assume your, your spouse or your, your future spouse or potential future spouse or your dating relationship, your partner, you just assume that their family of origin was probably like yours until you start seeing these play out. And so again, this really speaks to everything we've been talking about tonight in terms of faith. What does that mean for the family? Some people are like, yeah, we're Christians and they go to church on Christmas and Easter. But they'd be like, yeah, we're Christians. Then there'd be people like, maybe on the other side of things, they're like, well, we're Christians. That means we're in church three times a week. In our case, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, prayer meeting and choir. So what does that mean? And either could mean a deep faith. It's, I'm not trying to judge the, the level of someone's faith. But what does it mean to be a Christian? How is faith going to integrate itself into your relationship? And that's huge. Because I can tell you that when you go through a dark time, and you're with someone, and I dated guys who were not Christian and wasn't my smartest move, but I was just like, he's cute, and I want to date him. <laughs> and, but when you go through your darkest times, I'm so thankful that I, God gave me a man of faith because you will be praying. If you have faith, you're going to go to God. And if your spouse doesn't believe in God, like she's just talking to herself right now, when you're hurting, when your like, parent is ill, someone's got cancer, you go to your knees to pray and your spouse, the love of your life, the person who's supposed to know you and see you and understand you best, thinks what you're doing is meaningless? How is that not going to have huge rupture in your... I'm talking when you're in pain. It's one thing if they're like, eh, she just talks to herself. But when you're really in your darkest hour, for them not to understand and validate what you're doing, I, that would be huge. So you want to see how faith plays out in their family as well. Finances, we've sp spoken to that. What you see, how, that, how he was taught, how she was taught to, to manage money or to not manage money, it's going to be huge. And then friendships, how they're prioritized. And again, gets back to the stuff we were talking about before. Are you social? Did your, did your partner come from a family that really valued connections with the community, with neighbors? Or are they just like, we kind of just keep to ourselves. You know, I don't want anyone to know my business. I mean, either's fine. I mean, there's valid rationale for either, but just to understand that. And that's, again, something that you really want to observe. You really want to see it because we don't always know, especially in our early 20s, we don't always know how much, we don't, we don't see our families clearly yet. We haven't had that distance yet. Yeah, and I think, again, we're saying these differences are significant and then they just got to be observed, recognized, and clarified. And what you guys decide as a couple, how you're going to deal with your friends now might totally change in five years. So it's not trying to set this barometer or this boundary forever but negotiate, discuss these things as they come up. So watch if there is openness, freedom, and authenticity allowed. Elliot's talked about that several times tonight. We, and you know, I, I hear it from women in my community, and I remember feeling that very acutely myself when I was dating. I just wanted someone to get me. I just wanted to be able to be myself the way that I was with my roomies from Judson, like just be fully real and raw and be seen and and respected and cherished for who I am. And so if you see someone who's coming from a home where their authentic self was not able to be expressed in their family of origin, they may have a harder time with that personally and then also in the context of relationship with you. No further, agree. <laughs> All right, um, watch if there are harsh critiques, judgments and grudges. So how do we handle disappointments? In the family context, that's going to generalize to how they handle disappointments with you as a couple and then you as a family. 
and disappointments are going to happen. Life is long. It is there. You're going to have some pain, trauma, sadness, grieving that's going to happen. So how is that handled? Is that something that the family has taught to have those conversations as Ellie's talking about? Whether it's, you know, and I'm one, I don't know if I'm a turtle or a teddy bear, but I, cause I definitely need my space. Like mm -hmm. Dan's more like, let's talk about this. I'm like, I, yeah, I no. think Dan's a owl fox. Owl fox. And I think you're a panda bear, just like your niece. Straight up panda. Yeah. <laughs> Liv, give you a peace shout out there. <laughs> I saw it. I was looking for it. Yeah. Teddy but, bear turtle combo. Yeah. Cause I, oh, is that, it's, yeah. okay. Cause I know that I need my space sometimes to process. I'm like, I can't really talk you're about this. You're just a right. highly extroverted version. Mm -hmm. And so people can sometimes, and because you're not afraid to confront issues, you're an advocate for people who are hurting. So I think people sometimes would think, based on personality, you're more of a confronter, but you don't like confrontation. No, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I use it all up with you. That's no, true. Child. I'm glad I drove you to that. <laughs> I use it all up. Um, okay, wait. So judgments, critiques. So looking at, again, communication patterns. Like you and Angie are talking about, you're more, you're, you're, you enjoy a spar, a little yeah. spat. I mean, they'd be bored without that. I personally don't, like, I, again, I'm not trying to be a victim. I was the youngest of two, of three, you know, my other brother. And several sharks and a out-of-control fox in your house. So you, you had a lot going on. Just basically just being picked on. I was teased and picked on. I mean, that's fine. That's what siblings do. So when I am in my romantic partnership, I really don't like to be picked on. <laughs> yeah. I had a boyfriend, that one yeah. guy, Kyle, he... um. <laughs> Just Glad to see you. Oh <laughs> I usually use fake names. <laughs> yeah, that one just came out. I think his name, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. but he would, he liked to just needle me, like yeah. just make fun of me, this and that. And I was just like, mm, eh, Yeah, not it so doesn't much. feel very good. Just, yeah. But it might work for someone else. So, mm. but just again, looking at the family dynamics can give you a window into how he's probably going to end up treating you eventually. So yeah. it's just something to consider. Anything more on that? Nope. Watch if siblings have genuine love and concern for one another. I think you should I'm, speak to that. I'm glad we came a long way. <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, Angie should have been concerned the way I treated uh, no, Karen. No, not by the time By the time met. I was with her, I was starting to mature and grow up. But you're just looking. You can't guarantee sibling estrangement doesn't happen. You can't guarantee there's not massive issues that happen between siblings. We're getting ready to do a sibling wound podcast, so listen to that one in a couple weeks. Uh, but what the research has been telling us is that your sibling relationship becomes a primary identification for your marriage relationship. So how you get along with your sisters and brothers is an indication, just like your roommate relationship is an indication, what kind of roommate you'll be with your partner. So if you are a real pain in the butt roommate and think you're just going to have it easy with your marriage, that's not necessarily the case. So if you are purposely already not doing the dishes and not cleaning up and kind of needling your partner or your roommate all the time, that's just an indication again, just like it would be with siblings. And as I matured with my siblings, I matured and was prepared for marriage more regularly. But I did have that opportunity to share and to be a part of a, a process, and, and that was helpful. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. 
I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. Watch if the world is seen as fair, unfair, hopeful, or hopeless. I think this is really critical. There are some families that teach their children, either overtly or covertly, the world is unfair, the little guy is always getting trampled on, people are out to to screw you over, you can't trust anybody because they're always trying to get something on you. Some people are raised in those households. Now, we all know that there are some elements of that in this world. It's a fallen world, and some people are all those things. But if you see human nature globally, everyone is out to get you, that's very different from someone who was raised in a home where you're like, hey, people are doing the best they can. Yes, people are inherently sinful, but there's redemption, and people are not out to get you. You don't have to be jaded and, and cynical and fearful of everyone who, who, that no one is ever on the up and up with you. And then there's, of course, there's the middle ground. But it, a worldview is crucial because it's going to, you filter everything you experience through that worldview. So someone might be like, oh, I'm a really positive person. But then every time you hear something, they're like, well, that guy, he was trying to scream at that, that car salesman. He, he wanted to make me spend all this money. It's, it's always this, they're out to get me versus someone who's going, you know what? I want to be savvy. I don't want to be taken advantage of. But at the same time, I'm not going to see everyone is out there with a criminal mind. And I have to defend myself from that. And that's where our faith as Christians is so critical and why scripture teaches us not to marry outside of faith without understanding the ramifications. It says if your worldview is based on Jesus Christ as the savior of this world, the redeemer, the rock, who we look to for our strength, who fulfills our needs rather than expecting my partner to, who calls me and commissions me to do my work and serve in the kingdom, and someone else who's an awesome dude or an awesome lady who doesn't have that worldview at all, that's an extraordinarily different perspective of life. So I, I love a good love story, and I even like some interesting ones where someone from one part of the world marries someone from another. Great differences, but man, you just got to be super careful in that faith realm. And God's done some great things with people getting saved through their marriage and other things like that. It's just very, very risky. Well, and it also lead to mental health concerns because Absolutely. hope and faith and belief that there is someone out there who loves you and cares for you and created you as a unique and wonderful being, that is something that sustains us through those dark times that we're all going to endure. And yet, uh, one of the guys that I dated that wasn't a Christian, I mean, he had a real struggle with depression because he didn't believe that there was anyone out there who cared about him. His parents didn't believe that. And so he had anger management issues. There was just a lot of trickle down from that worldview. And when you're a naturally positive person, Again, talking about those similarities as money in the bank, I was like, I mean, I can't. I just yeah. can't. Like, I can't be your therapist. I, 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 it's not sexy. I'm not interested in that. And so it was one of the reasons for our demise. Also, because I was supposed to be with Dan. But um, let's see. Uh, what, what, 
Watch what is given attention, energy, and investment to. And that goes back to the values, where you spend your time, when you spend your energy, where you invest. And that's one of the things that, again, we're going to talk about values a lot anytime we talk about relationships, whether we're talking about romantic or friendship. I mean, why are you friends with someone? If you look at it, it's not like your freshman year at Judson, you're like, hey, let's go get pizza. You're not like, do we have the same values? Because I really hope we do, because then we're going to have an easy peasy friendship. No, but you tend to have an affinity for someone because you start to learn about them and you do align on your values. Values are at the root of everything. And certainly those values are passed from parent to child in that family of origin. And you're going to be able to witness that and see that and gather that really important information that even this person can't really tell you, but you can see through the family of origin. Do you want to say anything more about attention, energy, and investment? Yeah, the prioritization of the relationship becomes a crucial um, assessment of how well they love you. And so if you have some high need for a lot of attention, a lot of connection, a lot of time together, and your partner doesn't, that independent, dependent thing. So I work with a lot of couples where the... Uh, structure and fluidity of their relationship is jeopardized by someone spending more time with their car than their spouse. And often I hear, she knew that before we got married. Mm -hmm. So there's those kind of elements that are, are very important in that prioritization of time and, and attention. And on that note, that is a fair Mm -hmm. That's a, because a lot of people do go into marriage, whether they realize it or not, maybe they're not being honest with themselves, but they're like, we'll work it out. It'll work out. Just for full disclosure, I was engaged before I got married to my husband. So I know a bit about staying in a relationship. And actually, this one was a real quality guy. And he was on paper, really a perfect match for me. And then two months before the wedding, I called it off because there was a bit of this understanding that I need to be fully honest with the fact that I keep telling myself, it's going to work out. We'll figure it out. He'll be a great dad and that'll be enough. And not being honest mm. with that. But the, but the point here that I think speaks to it is that when you get married, you will grow and change. And probably a lot of that will be in concert. You will do that together. And it'll be a beautiful thing. You'll grow together. But it is fair for someone to say, she knew that I was... And here's car. those boundaries again, because if your boyfriend's currently playing more video games a day than talking to you, and that really angers you, and you're not saying anything about it, that's not likely going to stop easily in marriage. And the same thing can be true with women. I'm just, the, the male applicable examples came to mind very quickly. Well, I've heard it put this way. Tell me if this it rings true from your couples. I've heard it put this way, that women marry a man hoping to change him and men marry a woman hoping she'll never change. Yes. There you go. Very applicable. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of interesting to look at it that way. Um, this is kind of similar. Watch what is valued as important, critical, and necessary. So kind of I don't again, think we have to go through that one anymore. Okay. It just fits right in. Watch how expectations and responsibilities are handled. Expectations are kind of huge. There's people who say, it's another two values that you hear out there. One would be like, shoot for the stars, dream big, always hope. And then the others would, would be, don't get your hopes up, right? Because it may not work out. Those are two very different worldviews. Yeah. And that would, again, really infiltrate a lot of different realms. Do you have any examples of that from the couples you well, work with? Well, just in reality, these expectations are so often, again, we did a whole podcast on it, and it happens in my counseling office all the time. If they're not shared and communicated and understood and clarified, they just have this power 
that moves and disrupts and divides and distracts. And, and so sometimes you just got to ask that question. And again, 33 years in the marriage, my wife and I do this very, very well now. Every Saturday morning, hey, what are your expectations for the day? What would you like to get done today? And so we can talk through that together. Um, even like when we're meeting at Culver's before this, my wife's very linear, very structured, needs that, you know, what time do you guys think you'll be home? And what's going on there? What's your expectation? You know, that's just those things are very important. If you guys remember one of those equations I give you, expectations plus belief equals fulfillment. So what are we expecting from our partner? What do we believe about our partner? That equals fulfillment. And if we don't know what they believe or what they want to believe, and I'm not talking faith here about each other more than Jesus this time, and what we expect about each other or what we need in that expectation, it's going to be hard to get fulfilled. So I think they work hand in hand together. And you two probably on a Saturday, you're going to be cleaning. Is that correct? We do enjoy good clean. <laughs> good clean. Well, worth ethic, work ethic is right, exactly. part, of, part of the love language. I was just bringing in the cleaning again. <laughs> yes, like, keep I, this I love the clean. weaving through. Nothing makes me happier than a good vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I was a crazy man, whose room was clean, Mom? His. That's right. Even in my crazy days. I needed it because everything's chaotic inside. I, Everything's I, always churning and turning and thinking. So. Oh, I sometimes look at my clutter and I'm like, this is a visual represent, re representation of my mental like chaos yeah. right now. Yeah, Dan's been in sessions with me for years. He's trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Watch how health, wealth, and wellness are prioritized. I think this is a huge one too. I mean, really huge. And it can come from something as simple as... So I've been doing a deep dive into nutrition and mental health because of so many of the women in my community feel like they have anxious attachment, they're struggling with anxiety. And I know that we're eating a lot of processed foods and seed oils and things that are not helping our mental health, but we're not thinking about that. We think, oh, it's what I'm eating and putting it in my body. We kind of have this mind-body dualism mm -hmm. in our understanding of ourselves and it's just, it's one body. So I've been doing this and bringing it back to the relationship piece. So now I'm telling my husband, like, okay, we're not having any seed oils anymore. And because he, he's busy doing his thing, but he respects me and values that if I'm doing the research, I, it must be something important or I wouldn't be wasting my time reading these books. And he honors me and our relationship by going, all right, if Karen thinks we should do this, I, I admire her and respect her. I'm willing to go with it to try it. That doesn't and mean and as a college athlete, he understands yeah. discipline of body, how you use right, your body right. for your peace, for your health, for your movement. So it fits in. Again, your values of disciplined body is very important to your relationship. Yeah. And, it, and what I mean is that it seems like, you, like if I were in, in your class years ago, I might be like, I don't think that's that big a deal. Well, no, it, it's really huge because what the, the tension would be, not only would I be irritated, but like I'm spending a lot of time, I'm learning a lot of things I would feel like he was not respecting me enough to at least listen and think about, okay, yeah. I can go along with that. Yeah, and if one of you is really into and conscious about your health and wellness and your partner drinks too much, smokes too much, using inappropriate substances, doesn't work out, doesn't care about it, and gets angry that you do, that's a big difference. You know, you're probably planning on being in shape and being wise about your body your whole life. And if he or she's not even doing it now when they're in the prime of life, what's that going to look like when they're my age? So I think, I think it is very, very important to understand this about each other. Again, not necessarily lead to a breakup, but you better talk through it and, and see where it aligns. I'm going to share one more personal example from mom's friend who she worked with for 30 years. 
And her husband, after having a diagnosis of some heart problems and some gout, he was not taking any steps. He was still drinking too much, and he was not taking steps to, to help his health. And he had, was it a heart attack, Mom? He had a heart attack, and she remembers her friend saying, I don't think he loved me enough to make some changes to stick around for me. Yeah, so can you imagine that, feeling that? But I don't, I'm not going to lie. I think I would feel that. Like, mm -hmm. you weren't willing to make any adjustments. That's she, huge. Yeah, I mean, so this is the kind of profound impact it can have on, on a, a, a marriage. So wealth and wellness, health. We've talked about the wellness, uh, the wellness and the wealth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the wealth, we've also talked extensively about finances, and it's, it's just such a core value. And again, until it stops showing up as the number one, people get, one, number one reason people get divorced, we're going to keep talking about it. All right, I'm going to go through our last section. And I'm not going to talk about these because they're extremely self-explanatory. But please hear them, and listeners, please take note. Abusive automatic termination issues. If these things are going on in your relationship, you need to get out now. It doesn't mean there can't be healing and progressive work towards maybe a possibility in the future, but it does not happen very often. Physically, if they hit you, threaten you, intimidate you, restrain you, or bully you, it's got to be over. Emotionally, if they demean you, condemn you, disregard you, embarrass you, or scream at you. I'm not talking about one argument where they got a little heated. There's a difference. You know the difference. When someone's like screaming at you and you don't even know what happened or why or have no idea what's going on, you're just the receiver of their projection, you got you to get out. Mentally, if they're controlling you, coercing you, manipulating you, dismissing you, or deceiving you, it's not healthy enough. It's not safe. And then spiritually, if they scoff, laugh, ignore, deny, or mock your faith, it's just got to be over. And it doesn't even mean that you are like, maybe you don't even feel super sure in your faith, but they're still mocking you about it or disregarding you or laughing in your face about it. It's just, it's never going to work. The love and life hack for this week is red flags are a warning, but deal breakers are a hard stop. We can take the mystery out of love in a good way when we keep our head in the game. Thank you as always for joining us this week. We've got one more episode for you from the live. It's the Q&A section. We took your questions from Instagram and also those from Elliot's students in the audience. And we'll be posting that episode on Friday. So be looking forward to that. In the meantime, have an amazing Thanksgiving week. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend time with us today and that you've chosen to be a part of the Love and Life community. It means so much to us. Happy Thanksgiving. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April, and until next time, make it a great Thanksgiving week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.